0: Love Talk Radio. I do believe we're ready,
1: sister. I said, I do believe we are ready. All right, let's get us a red hymn book. Let's stand to our feet. Let's turn to number 132. 132, My Faith Looks Up To Thee.
2: My faith looks up to thee. Thou thy rich grace impart strength to my faith heart my
0: see
1: all of you here, Amen. Hope the Lord's hope the Lord's blessed you this week. Hope everything's been good with you. If not, we can go to the Lord and talk to him about it and we can we can get his help on straightening it out. Amen. I tell you what, we got we got people sick. We got but well, we got people here in church this morning. I praise God for that. We need to lift up Miss Bonnie in prayer. She's still dealing with shingles, am I right? No she's, she's Okay. Well praise God for that. Amen. She's, oh, she's here? I missed her. I don't know where she's at then Okay, well,
2: praise man, God. Man, baby. Praise God.
1: Amen. Anybody else prayer requests this morning? Yes. Yes. Remember, my aunt Mary Ruth. Huh? She's gonna have right. Right. Remember to pray for Grant and lift him up in prayer. God gives him answers and gives the doctors answers. Yes, brother Leo. My daughter, Florida's mom, is
2: really
1: a national divorce right now. He's terminated shortage. All right. He, he, he told the judge to be better somehow to his wife. His wife was coming mm. We'll remember if. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We lift up in prayer. God knows those hurts. God does. And, and, I, and I want to mention a friend of mine. I got a good friend named Jerry Preston. Over in Paris, and his—he's going through the same thing. His wife's left him, and he told me he sent me a text. He says she's saved, but she's the Holy Spirit's whispering, and her flesh is screaming, and she's in love with the world and herself right now. And it's—it's it's a terrible, terrible thing when people get caught up in in the things of this world, and they forget the things of God, and they—you know—you leave—you leave people to hurt when you do that, and it's sin don't do nothing good for you. It just destroys. That's all it does. And it can tear a Christian household to pieces. Yes. Uh, my son sister, wow. this is Amen. Amen. I want to remember to pray for my wife's uncle and the situation with him. He's got a kidney transplant and healing up. And uh, remember to pray for him and all those taking care of him. Anybody else? Anything else? Yes, Miss Charlotte. Um, Unspoken request. Amen. God knows all about it. Anything else before we pray? All right. Hey, when is the last Sunday? Bonnie's not in here to tell me. I can't I haven't even look at the calendar. Is it? It's, it'll be, we've got two more? Okay, okay. Well, I won't, I won't worry about all right. Anything else before we pray? So let's ask God to meet with us and move in our presence this morning. Let's ask him to make himself, uh, make himself um, abundantly present. Amen in our lives and our thoughts and our and our and our souls and our spirits this morning.
0: Okay. Well,
1: kind of next next Sunday's the last Sunday. Okay, all right. We'll have that on our minds, and I guess between now and maybe the end of service, we'll figure out something as far as what we're going to do. Well, we just
0: supposed to do something the oh, Well,
1: we just supposed to do those things the last Sunday, but decided to both up. Yeah, we both. Okay, so more than likely we'll do potluck next Sunday. All right, we'll figure that out. We've got time for all that. All right, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's ask God to meet with us this morning. Robert, lead us in prayer. Amen. You can be seated. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Praise Him,
2: praise Him, Jesus, our blessed Redeemer. Sing all this wonderful love proclaim. Hail Him, hail Him, highest archangels in glory strength and honor, give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children in his arms. He carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him. Tell of his excellent praise that Never enjoyable song. Amen.
1: Speaking to yourselves in songs and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what the Bible says. One seventy-two. One seventy-two. Neath the banner of the cross. <clears throat>
2: to the soldiers of the king. As an inside play we've it up today, while it's ransomed once we see. Marching on, marching on, for Christ count, everything goes on. And to crown him king, oil and The banner of the cross, though the foe may rage and gather as the flood, let the standards be displayed, and beneath its fold, as soldiers of the Lord, for the truth be not displayed. Marching on, marching on. but lost and to crown him king, toil and sing, he's the banner of the cross over land and sea wherever man may dwell make the glorious tidy known of the crimson banner, now the glory tell while the Lord shall claim his own marching on for Christ count everything but law, and to crown him Thank you. Yeah.
1: This morning, and we're at part 212, getting to know Jesus. One of these days, we'll run out of getting to know Jesus sermons. And we'll have to go somewhere else, won't we? I've already got that figured out. Amen. I know where we're headed after this. I'm not going to tell you, but I, I'll let y'all figure it out. All right. Let's take our Bible this morning. We're going to turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. We're going to begin at verse 16, and we're going to read down through verse 29. We've got quite a bit of scripture we're going to cover this morning, so I'm glad we're getting started a few minutes early. John chapter 19, verse 16 through 29. All right. Hopefully you have found that. Here are just a couple pages turning. John 19. Verse 16 through 29, the Bible says, Then Jesus, I'm sorry, then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross, and the writing was, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews, for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priest of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the King of the Jews, but that he said, I am King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier a part, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my raiment among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things therefore the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, Behold thy son. Then saith he to, his, to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his, unto his own home. For so this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop, and put it to his mouth. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, I love you. Lord, I can't tell you any more deeply than that. Lord, I love you with everything, but I am. Lord, I need you today. Lord, we've come to your house. We've come to this place, this time to meet with thee. And Lord, it's the best that we know how We, we plead with you. Please, Lord, waken us up. Wake us up. Wake our soul. Wake our spirit. Awaken us, Father. Speak to us. Teach us. Talk to us. Stir down deep in us. Make your presence felt here today. Lord God, I can do nothing but, but, but speak and read. Lord, you have the power to reach down in the hearts of men and women and boys and girls and do a work in their lives, Father. I pray that you'll use me, Lord. I I'm just an instrument to be placed in your hand for you to work through. And, Lord, I pray that you do that this morning. I yield myself all that I am to you, and I ask you, please, to do with me what you will. Father God, I pray for each one under the sound of my voice, Lord, that they'd sit and listen, Lord, with with a close attention. Let the Holy Ghost of God speak to them this morning. Father, it's our desire to meet with you. All is in vain if we've done everything we've done to get here, and then we don't meet with you. So, Lord, I pray do a work in our midst today, and we'll, we'll be careful to praise you and give you all the glory for all that's done. Lord, we ask you to forgive our sin, cleanse us, make us vessels that you can fill and can honor you. Lord, we ask it in Jesus' name, and we ask it for his sake. Amen. Amen. have If you think back over the last four Sundays that we have dealt with the utterances of cross of uh, uh, Christ on the cross, Uh, you think back to what they were maybe but we and you remember as i told you that there's seven of these seven of these statements that jesus made from the cross three of them came before darkness was upon the land one took place during the darkness and three came after the darkness Uh, the first one was a was a word of forgiveness that he spoke from the cross when he said father Forgive them, for they know not what they do. The second statement that he made was a not a was, was a word of salvation when he said to the thief on the cross, "Surely this day shalt thou be with me in paradise." The third statement was a word of affection was directed toward his mother when he said to her, "Woman, behold thy son." Son, behold thy mother. you notice he called her woman. He did not call her mother. I think maybe Jesus, I know I know Jesus knew what would happen in the future. I know Jesus knew how corrupt this thing called the Catholic Church would pop up and become and worship Mary. And I believe for that reason, maybe Jesus said woman or not put emphasis on her as mother. But he said that is a word of affection. And then, Son, behold thy mother asking John to take her as his own mother. And history tells us that he did. He took her into his home uh, for a great many years, uh, 11 years, I believe, after that time, and she lived there with him as his mother. Um, the fourth word, which came during the darkness, the three hours of darkness that fell upon the earth, was a word of anguish. We looked at that last week. It was a word of soul anguish. Christ crying out from the depths of his soul, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then we come this morning to the fifth word, the fifth utterance. And this morning's word is a word of suffering. It's unique, though, in that all of the utterances made by Christ on the cross, of all of them, it's the only one that mentions his physical suffering. By this time, he'd probably been on the cross for about four to six hours. Again, the three hours of darkness had passed. For three hours in that darkness, that utter black darkness where there was no light shining anywhere, and I dare say nobody moved very much for fear of harming themselves. Everybody probably stayed pretty still during those hours of pitch black darkness. Everyone around the cross I'm sure there was a quiet that fell upon the land, and, and hushed. Everybody was was frightened, and, and probably all you could hear after a, after the initial shock wore off was the dying moans and the cries of the thieves hanging on the cross. But as, as painful as those would have been to listen to, there they would have been overshadowed by the words of Jesus crying out in the midst of the darkness, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Sometimes around 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the darkness began to pass, and the sun began to shine on the ravaged body of our Lord Jesus as he hung there on that cross in the middle. And then out of silence, Jesus cries out, I thirst. I thirst. Six of these utterances that Christ made they pair together, and in, in, in literature it's called a couplet. When when I'll give you an example of a couplet, two verses that fit together. I do not like green eggs and ham. I do not. I will not eat them. Sam I am. Those two lines go together. They form a couplet. Well, very much the same way these scriptures couplet together. I'll give you an example. The first two pair together. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And surely this day shalt thou be with me in paradise. And these two reveal the Lord's concern for the salvation of sinners. That's that's the first two things he spoke on the cross of Calvary. That's why he went to the cross of Calvary. That's why he's dying there on the cross of Calvary. For sinners Of course it's the most important thing on his mind It's the most important thing to him And the first thing he said Was concerning salvation Then the third and the fourth pair together Woman behold thy son And son Behold thy mother And then my God My God Why hast thou forsaken me? They may say, what do those two have to do with each other? Well, they reveal his forsakenness. He was breaking his earthly relationship with his own mother. He knew that his earthly life had come to an end and he was forsaking that relationship and turning her over to John. And so there's forsakenness there. But then he turns to the Father and the Father turns his back on Jesus when, when sin is placed. He, he cannot look on the sin that's placed on Jesus. He turns his back on Jesus and he cries out, in is my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And then the sixth, and the seventh pair together. And the sixth, he says, it is finished. And the seventh, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. These two picture a laborer laying the finished task in the arms of God. He truly had finished what he came to do. But this fifth utterance, it doesn't couple it, doesn't couple it with any it. Of course, we have an odd number. This one stands alone by itself. I thirst. I thirst. I want. I want to. I want to. I want to read some some passages to contr- to contrast with that statement. I thirst. John seven thirty seven. Jesus said, in the last day, that great day of the feast. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst let him come unto me and drink. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. And yet here he is saying, I thirst. In John chapter 4, verses 10 and then verses 13 and 14, verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, the woman at the well, It's like Sychar's well, if thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith unto thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him who would have given thee living water. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. He says, Come to me and you'll never thirst again. Now I think it's interesting. Jesus asked her for a drink of water, yet he never got a drink of water. But yet here... On the cross, the one who offered the drink of everlasting water, the one who said, come to me and will never thirst again, cries out, I thirst. One of the things we're going to look at this morning is Jesus being, number one, the true Messiah, the true Messiah. Understand that Jesus wasn't the only man around during his time that claimed deity. He wasn't the only man around that time to claim to be the Son of God.
2: The historian
1: Josephus said that many in that day claimed to be deity. Many claimed that. Jesus was the only one among many who claimed that. Do you understand that? There's a reason why they weren't impressed. There had been so many who had come before and claimed that. It's like, oh, here comes another one. If we lived in those days, it would have been difficult to look at Jesus and believe that he was God wrapped in human flesh. Why? Because so many had already claimed the same thing before him. Many others had made the claim that they were the deliverer, that they were the Messiah. But I'm gonna tell you something. While it may have fooled a lot of people, if you were a if you were a student of Old Testament prophecy, you couldn't miss that Christ was the true deliverer, the true Messiah, if you knew the word of God. Because you see, in the Old Testament it had been prophesied already that he would be betrayed by a friend. Psalm forty one verse nine said Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. It prophesied that that would take place. The Bible prophesied that he would be forsaken by his disciples. Psalm chapter 31, verse 11, it said, I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintance. They that did see me fled from me. You see, the Bible predicted the false accusations that were made against Jesus. Psalm 35, verse 11, the Bible said, False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. The Bible predicted the silence of jesus before his accusers in isaiah 53 and verse 7 the bible said he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb so he opened not his mouth amen you remember when we talked about the scourging. The fact that the, the lictors, when they, when they would strike someone with that whip, they were looking for a confession. They were looking for to so say, I did it, I admit it, I did it. And if they cried out enough, they would, they would get the lesser whip. But Jesus never opened his mouth. Therefore, he got the worst beating of all. The Bible prophesied that he would be proven guiltless. Isaiah 53, verse 9, And he, gave, he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. The Bible prophesied that he would be numbered with the transgressors. Isaiah 53, verse 12, Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. The Bible predicted his crucifixion and foretold it in very descriptive language. I'll not read all of Psalm 22, but I urge you sometimes to sit and read and study Psalm 22 and just listen to it as it describes. I'll read verses 13 through 18. The Bible says, They gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and a roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my jaws. You ever been that thirsty? I don't think you have, where your tongue just cleaving to your mouth, just dry and stuck to one another. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death, for dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones. They look and stare upon me. They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. You see, the Bible prophesied also the mockery of those who stood and watched him die. In Psalm 109, verse 25, the Bible said, I became also a reproach unto them. When they looked upon me, they shake their heads. The Bible prophesied the taunts of the unbelievers. Psalm 22, 7 and 8. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying he trusted on the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him seeing he delighted in him. The Bible prophesied the gambling for his garments. We read it just a moment ago, but I'll read it again. Verse eighteen of Psalm twenty two, they part my garments among them, they cast lots upon my vesture. Isn't it amazing how it just write down to the letter? The Bible prophesied the prayer that he made for his enemies. Isaiah fifty three twelve, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. The Bible prophesied his being forsaken by God. Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? The Bible prophesied his thirst. Psalm 69, verse 21, They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar. To drink. The Bible prophesied his yielding up of his spirit to God. Psalm 31, verse 5, into thine hand I commit my spirit. Thou hast redeemed me, O Lord God of truth. The Bible prophesied that not a bone of his body would be broken. Psalm 34:20: he keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. The Bible prophesied that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Isaiah 53, verse 9. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. You know, we could probably keep doing this till about 4 o'clock in the afternoon and still not exhaust every prophecy concerning Christ on the cross. But get this for a second if all those prophecies, I mean, there's probably over a hundred of them, if all those prophecies had been fulfilled exactly to the letter, all except for Psalm 69, verse 21, which reads, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Had all those prophecies been fulfilled except for that one right there, then Jesus would not have been the true Messiah. You say, there ain't much of nothing. It's just a little drink of vinegar. That's just a little bit of a spot of vinegar on his lips. What does that got to do with anything? If he had done everything that all the prophecies list, every single thing, everything, that if they'd not offered him vinegar to drink, he was not the Messiah. Every scripture must be fulfilled or he would have not been the right one. Verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the Scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst.
2: Jesus, the living
1: Word of God, knowing that every single prophecy must be fulfilled while dying on the cross, made sure, even in his death, dying there, made sure that every jot and every tittle was fulfilled, that the world might know that the true Deliverer had come. In this cross utterance, what we see? We see he's the true Messiah, that he fulfilled all righteousness, that he did everything that was necessary. I I have no doubt in my mind as to who Jesus was. None whatsoever. I have 100% assurance that he he died on the cross and that he was God's only son, only begotten. That he was God clothed in human flesh. That he suffered my punishment. That he paid my sin debt. I I have 100% assurance of that. That he satisfied the just demands of the holy God. 100% sure. And I see here that he is the true Messiah. That's number one. Number two, I want to, I want to mention this. I want, to, I want us to pay attention just a moment to the time of this cry. Again, verse 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. That verse, there's two words. After this. What's the importance of those two words there, after this? Well, it means after the previous things had happened. After the four previous utterances were spoken. After Jesus spoke the fourth, and you remember the fourth, what was the fourth? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? After he spoke the fourth, you see, he had reached the place of the lost sheep because then he had found the place of forsakenness. You see, God turned his back on him. Jesus then, as I said last week, he came to the place where the lost sheep were. The shepherd could only save the sheep if he got to the place where the sheep were. Where were they? They were God-forsaken. Every single one of us were God-forsaken. We were the enemies of God. Jesus had to come to where we were. Sinners are God forsaken, my friends. Jesus had to reach the place of God forsakenness. After this, after Jesus had reached the place of God forsakenness, the atonement was accomplished. The sacrifice had reached the place of forsakenness and met the sinner and took his place. He's met all the requirements. He's fulfilled all the prophecies. He's nailed to that cross. He's not coming down. He's there. He's dying for sinners. He has taken the sinner's place. The work is accomplished. And he now turns to his own needs as the last scripture is fulfilled. You see, before this, his attention had been on the salvation of sinners and nothing else up until that moment. But now that everything is accomplished and the only thing left to do is die, he cries, I thirst. I thirst. Let me give you an illustration just for a second. I I don't think any of us understand the depths of that statement, I thirst. And I don't think that even an illustration can draw us close enough to see it in its fullness. But let me just give you one. Let's picture let's picture a fire department. And one night, about about midnight, a call comes in, there's a there's a big blaze. And I mean everybody goes out to it and they and they, they they're spraying water all night long. I mean, fighting at one, two, three, four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, finally about six o'clock in the morning, they finally get the blaze under control, the fire is out and you know, all through fighting that blaze, no not one single fireman. Said I got to stop and get a drink I need something to eat I got to stop and go to the restroom No they just kept fighting that fire Because the fire had to be put out While the blaze raged on Nobody thought about their own needs Only that they got the fire out That the job was accomplished Boy when the fire is out Everybody says Anybody got something to drink I need some water Somebody get me something to drink I'm thirsty Oh, I'm so thirsty. It's then you realize you thirst. You see, Jesus paying our sin debt, he didn't care about his own needs until he got the fire out for me and you. You understand? When the danger had passed for you and I, when salvation had been secured, then the fire was out. Then he could handle and tend to his own needs. I'll give you another example. A surgeon enters the operating room to conduct a complicated operation that'll either save a person's life or they'll lose their life. And you know what? He works tirelessly. Even if he has to work around the clock, sometimes they work for 24 hours doing surgery. I mean, some surgery's gone, it seems like forever. And and you know what? They can't stop in the middle and say, well, hang on, I gotta go tend to my needs. No, They, they stay with it and stay with it and stay with it until the patient is stable and in recovery. And then they go out to the family and talk to the family and say, listen, Think they're going to be all right. I'm going to go now and get something to drink. I'm thirsty. Stayed on his feet to accomplish the task, not caring for his own needs. Listen, that's 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 the only way I can picture it to me and you. Jesus stayed with it until the until the task was accomplished. He didn't think of things for his own needs. If it's true of a fireman or a doctor, then it's certainly true of him after coming to the place of forsakenness and taking the lost sheep's place, only then could he look on his own needs. And number three, I see this in the verse two. I see the torture of a human. Jesus Christ was a man. You realize that? He was a man just like every man in here today. Just like every man under the sound of my voice. But he was not only a man, he was also God. You see, he only laid down his earthly, I'm mean, sorry, he only laid down his outer glory when he came to earth. He didn't, he, didn't lay down, he didn't lay down who he was. He just laid down his outer glory, and he took upon him a robe of flesh. He was no less than he had ever been. He's still God walking in flesh. But he had something he'd never had before. He had a human body. He will forever be God. and He will forever be man. He can feel just like you and I can feel. I mean, anything that hurt me and you would hurt would have hurt him. He had a fever just like he's had. He could have had a fever just like you and I could have had a fever. He, he could have been hungry just like you and I was hungry. He could get tired and need to sleep just like you and I get tired and need to sleep. And he'd get thirsty just like you and I get thirsty. He was very much a man and just as much a man as anybody else. But he was also God. He was 100% God and 100% man. And when he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That was the anguish of his soul crying out. But in this fifth utterance, I thirst. That was the torture of a human body. He was thirsty. And we'll never know that level of thirst. I just tried my best to picture him upon the cross at that time. His lips swollen from the beating he took. His tongue swollen in his mouth. His lips cracked and dry and bleeding. No saliva. Dry, parched. In Psalm 69, I want to read just a minute. Verse 1 through 4. Save me, O oh God, for the waters are come in under my soul. I sink in deep mire where there's no standing. I am come into deep waters where the floods overflow me. I'm weary of my crying. My throat is dried. Not dry. My throat is dried. Mine eyes fail while I wait for my God. They that hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of mine head. They that would destroy me, being mine enemies wrongfully, are mighty. Then I restored that which I took not away. Because for thy sake I have borne reproach, shame hath covered my face. I am become a stranger unto my brethren, and an alien unto my mother's children. For the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up, and the reproaches of them that reproach thee are falling upon me. And then verse 21, they gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. Jesus knew what he meant to be thirsty like none of us have ever known and never will know. I've known thirst. I've been thirsty. I'm sure if any of you have worked out in the hay field, any of you have worked uh, construction or anything like that, you know what it's like to be thirsty. But you know what? Most of us have had access to water somewhere. I can remember as a child, as a young boy, my daddy leaving me on a rooftop out in the middle of the country on a new construction project, and going to town, being gone for hours in the summertime, and me thinking I'd never get another drop of water. or nothing to drink, but but I ain't never been thirsty like Jesus was. So number one, we see he's the true Messiah. Number two, we we see the time of the cry. Number three, we see the torture of a human. Number four, we see the thirst of hell. Thirst of hell. If you examine the sufferings of Christ on the cross, you will have the exact picture of what hell is like because Jesus suffered our hell on the cross. You see, he suffered the darkness he suffered the darkness for you and I Matthew twenty-five thirty, and cast cast you the unprofitable servant into outer darkness there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth he suffered the separation from God as I said last week when somebody dies and goes to hell they're put in that place of darkness and God never bothers them again Oh, his wrath poured out on them, but they'll never be in his presence ever again. Once they're in that place finally. What a horrible thought. What a horrible thought to be shut out from the presence of God forevermore. I'm not even beginning to talk about the suffering. I'm just talking about the separation, the realization that you could have you could have been with him, but you'll never be with him. Forever. He suffered forsakenness on the cross. I'm going to tell you, there's screams and cries of anguish and hell. They suffer in hell. They suffer alone in darkness. You say, how can they be alone? It's because everybody else in there is just as alone. Everybody else in there is just as forsaken. Everybody else in there is just as hopeless. There's no one to cling to. There's no one to turn to. Just agony forever and ever. He suffered the loneliness. On the cross. He suffered the physical pain. Oh, yeah, there's fire in hell. There's maggots. There's worms. There's, 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 there's brimstone, boiling brimstone. Every nerve ending in your body, screaming in agony for eternity. Just think of how bad a tooth hurts when a nerve's exposed. Now, you multiply that time every nerve in your body forever, forever in boiling sulfur. How did Jesus suffer? How did Jesus suffer all that on the cross? I don't know. My mind can't handle it all. My mind can't bring it all in and tie it all together. But I can assure you, he suffered every bit of the hell you and I would ever suffer if we stayed in hell for all eternity while he hung there on on that cross he suffered the thirst that the rich man in hell suffered. You remember what he said? Father Abraham sent Lashes that he may dip his finger in water, put a drop of it on my tongue because I'm
2: tormented in this flame.
1: Hell is not only the sufferings of the soul, but it's the tortures of the body as well. Hell is a place of fire. <clears throat> Hell is a place where men are tormented endlessly forever and ever. how bad is hell? Hell so bad, Jesus said, it would be better for a man to take a take a, a, an axe and hack his hand off rather than to go into hell with both hands. How bad? Jesus said it would be better for a man to take his finger and pluck his eyeball out of his head and cast it from him and enter into hell with two eyes. And lastly, we come to the thing I see in this verse, and that's the thirst of God. the thirst of God. Jesus was as much God as the Father in heaven. We understand that. John 14:9, Jesus saith unto them, "Have I been so long time with you, and yet hast thou not known me, Philip? He that hath seen me hath seen the Father." John 10, 30, and Jesus said, I and my Father are one. Not only do we see a human thirsting on the cross, but I'm going to tell you something. We see God thirsting too. Before you misunderstand what I'm saying, just listen, and you'll get what I'm saying. The thirst of God was not a physical thirst. The thirst of God was for the salvation of sinners. That's why he's there. That's why he's going through what he's going through. That's why he's dying for us. That's why he's suffering for us. Because he thirsts for you and me. That's the whole purpose of this book. That's the whole purpose of this church building. That's the whole purpose of you and I being in it. That's the whole purpose of gospel tracts. That's the whole purpose of preaching. God thirsts for sinners to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Jesus tasted death for every man. If he had not intended for people to be saved, he wouldn't have died for everybody. The thirst of God is for the salvation of lost sinners. The thirst of God is for our fellowship. Revelation 3.20, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him, which means I'll, I'll eat with him, I'll fellowship with him, and he with me. You see, I understand my thirst for his fellowship. I know I need him, but I don't understand and I'll never understand his thirst for fellowship with me. And I want you to understand that he thirsts for fellowship with every soul under the sound of my voice this morning. He wants to fellowship with you. How long has it been since you fellowshiped with God? I didn't say come to church. I'm talking about fellowshipping with God. You outside of this building, somewhere by yourself, you and God, fellowship and how long has it been since you fellowshiped with God and you felt his presence and you heard from him, from his word? How long has it been? He thirsts for you. He thirsts for every single sinner. Again, John 7, John 4 rather, 7 through 10. I read it earlier, but I'm going to read it again. Then cometh the woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. That's important. Remember that. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, asketh drink of me, which which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. In verses 13 and 14, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water, the, shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Now we jump down to verse 31 through 34. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him. They had showed back up from town saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And therefore saith the disciples one to another, hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of Him that sent me and to finish His work. He hungered and thirsted as the God's will to be done, it to be accomplished for sinners to be saved. That's where His thirst came from. Somebody could quench the thirst of God this morning by coming, repenting of their sinful way, and trusting on the finished work of Christ. You say, Well, I'm, where? Well, I'm saved. Well,. Do you have a thirst for him this morning? You see, there is a thirst that only Jesus can quench. Can I say to you this morning, if your salvation doesn't satisfy you, then you don't have the right salvation. Because Jesus will satisfy the need of your heart. If you're still thirsty after coming to Jesus, then you didn't drink right the first time. Because whosoever drinketh of the water that I give him shall never thirst. I urge you this morning, listen, if you, you say, oh, I'm saved, preacher. Well, that, that, that's, that's wonderful. Praise God for that. But are you fellowshipping with Jesus? Are you in a good fellowship with the Lord? Are you? Are, is your relationship with God what it ought to be? Or has some things come between you and the Lord? Has sin crept into your life? And little things, maybe not great big things, but little things take you off the path. Little things set you aside. Little things get in the way. Have things gotten in the way in your Christian life? Do you feel like you're as close to God as you've ever felt? If not, guess what? You're backsliding. You say, "Well, no, preacher, not me." But if you're not, if you don't enjoy reading this book more now than you've ever have, then you're backsliding when it comes to reading your Bible. If your prayer life is not uh, the best that it's ever been in your life, you're backsliding in your prayer life. If your fellowship with the Lord is not what it has been get out of that condition and come to the Lord and say, Lord, I want it back like I want it better than it's ever been. Let me tell you something. He's waiting on you because he thirsts for you. Let's stand together.